The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Serve Hour. Insightful, provocative, opinion-shaping conversations that matter. Your host is Jim Blackburn. During this broadcast, you'll hear from guests who are taking uniquely different approaches to life and their work environment, and you are invited to take part in the conversation. Now, here is Jim Blackburn. We're back. It's that time again. Welcome to the Serve Hour and a conversation that matters. Wherever you are and however you may be listening, thank you for making us part of your day. I'm Jim Blackburn, the host of the Serve Hour, and I invite you to participate with me in today's conversation. If you're listening live, call me. You can reach me at 866-472-5790. You can also email me. At J Blackburn at Serve Partners, and that's S U R V E Partners dot com. And if you're listening to our podcast, please feel free to email me at the same email address, J Blackburn at Serve Partners dot com. Now I need to mention that I've received numerous questions through emails about last week's broadcast, which was what I called an upside down approach to organizational change. I want to answer as many of them as I can, so I have allowed time later in our broadcast. Now, what about today? Our topic, leadership can't be taught, but it can be learned. Sounds like a paradox to me. And before we begin the discussion, I want to make sure I'm clear about the type of leadership this statement pertains to. I'm saying it can't be taught but it can be learned. We are not talking about crisis leadership that involves life and death, such as military, police, fire, hospital situations, or any other national or local safety organization. The leadership that I'm talking about is organizational leadership that creates consistent and sustainable, long-term, positive results. Okay, let's talk about it. The first point that I'd like to make about the topic is really important to understand as it will help you to accept the paradox when I say can't be taught but can be learned. It's this. Learning what other people already know does not cause behavioral change. Let me say it again. Learning what other people already know does not cause behavioral change. Oh, I I get it. It can help you increase your base of knowledge. It can help you add new skills, new capabilities. But trust me when I say it won't change how you relate to certain situations 
and relationships that are emotional for you. Examples being frustrate you, you get angry over it, your pulse rate quickens, it could be a celebration, it could be receiving compliments, and more. And learning what others already know does not contribute to how you relate to situations requiring you to influence other people in ways that cause them to go beyond where they would normally go without that influence. In other words, learning what others already know will not help you become a leader. Let me give you an example of this. In last week's broadcast, I mentioned the book Good to Great by Jim Collins. Very popular book, published about 15 years ago, and at the time, everyone was talking about it. Jim Collins was being interviewed on talk shows. Business schools were talking about it. Everyone that I was working with talking about it. Extremely popular. But when I asked those who had read the book and were recommending it, how have you changed as a result of reading Good to Great? What are you doing differently? In general, the answers were pretty much all the same. Nothing's changed. So what does cause behavioral change? What I'd like to do is introduce you to a unique three-dimensional learning process that must be learner-driven. I refer to it as transformational learning as it literally helps people change how they relate to those situations and relationships that are emotional for them and that are holding them back after achieving what they want. An example is what happens when leaders are angry, frustrated, or over, overwhelmed. Now, I remember not too long ago, I was asking the director of leadership development at a major business school how they were helping the students deal with the emotion of anger. And he kind of looked at me with a puzzled look and said, why would you even ask that? And I said, well, primarily because people that are leading high-growth organizations are disappointed more than they're pleased. And the reason for that is in a high-growth organization, you're stretching people. You're asking people to do things that they haven't done before. And typically, when you're doing something for the first time, you don't get it quite right. So if a leader is struggling with the emotion of anger and frustration, think what that does to the individuals that are in that organization as well as the culture. So let me talk about this transformational three-phase learning process. And I'm going to ask, as I have in a past broadcast, get out a piece of paper or get your iPad, because I want you to draw three rectangles, one above the other. So you'll have a stack of rectangles and put some space between them. The lowest rectangle, I want you to label foundational. And that's what I would refer to as foundational learning. It's critically important and it's where we all begin with the learning process. It's new knowledge, 
new skills, new capabilities. And guess what? It's learning what other people already know. Jim Collins is good to great. Training, seminars, workshops, any type of situation that is contributing to your knowledge, your skill set, and your capabilities. Critically important, but I will say this. If that's all you're doing in your organization and you think you're a learning organization, you're selling yourself short. There's far more to this than foundational learning. So let's go to the next level. Right above it, label it CORE, C-O-R-E. This level of learning contributes to new thoughts, new beliefs, and new behaviors. This level of learning usually occurs as a result of self-examination and assessment when a person accepts his or her role in endeavor that is not working, when they take responsibility. It can also be facilitated by an outside resource who understands that the learner is responsible for learning. Therefore, no teaching, no telling, a lot of asking, a lot of listening. This is what's commonly called in today's workplace coaching. Some people refer to it as mentoring also, but my experience is that most people that are mentors and they're mentoring others end up telling more than they ask. They end up advising more than they ask, and they don't listen very well. This takes a unique skill set of asking and then asking the second question. Now, what's an example of this? Well, again, last week I talked about Les Wexner, the founder of the limited stores. And I mentioned a story that was in the book, The War for Talent, about how in the early 90s, Wexler's stock in the limited stores had tanked. He had grown the business to, I think it was, um, the numbers were like 3,800 stores and something like $5 billion in revenue. But he was concerned with what was going on, so he hopped on his corporate jet and went to visit some of the giants in the world of business, Jack Welsh of GE, Wayne Calloway, who at the time was CEO of PepsiCo, and he started asking questions. And as a result of those meetings, he heard this. Question was, so how do you spend your time if you're not looking at sales, if you're not sitting in marketing meetings, if you're not helping with branding? And the answer was common between the two men. We spend over half our time with people. We're looking at new recruits, we're evaluating, we're promoting, we're weeding out. Now, question is, when Wexler returned, did anything change? So let me pick up on the story there. It says, when he returned home, Wexler immediately set his new talent mindset to work. Now, notice that statement. He has a new mindset. 
And what he had said earlier in this story is those visits were an epiphany for me. I discovered a completely different way of running a business. Now, remember, core learning is new thoughts, new beliefs, which leads to new behaviors. When Wexler returned, first, he asked his HR managers for a list of the Limited's 100 most senior people. They didn't have one. Even after a list was created... Wexler realized he didn't know half the people on it well enough to assess them. Quote, when I finished assessing them, I felt sick, he recalls. I realized that my people weren't nearly as strong as they needed to be. I had hired other merchants like myself. We needed general managers, and we didn't have any. That's the first thing that changed. Secondly, Wexner hired Len Schlesinger, a Harvard Business School organizational development professor, as a consultant and confidant. And later, he became the chief operating officer and executive vice president of the Limited's organization, leadership, and the human resources functions. They put together a talent review process that reviewed each of the division's talent strategies and the performance of the top 50 people in each division. Now, notice what I just said there. Each division's talent strategies. I have yet to find a company that I've worked with that has a talent strategy. The hiring is reactional, and it's usually to replace someone who's moved on. It's not proactive, and there's absolutely no strategies involved. So Wexner not only attended all those meetings, he co-chaired them. Thirdly, Wexner began to pump new talent into the organization. He hired world-class general managers from Estee Lauder, Banana Republic, J. Crew, and The Gap. He also hired functional managers in finance, logistics, store operations, and information technology from Pillsbury, PepsiCo, and Bell South. The newcomers brought deep experience and fresh perspectives, and with them came a new recognition of what outstanding talent looks like. They built their teams, talented insiders got promoted, and weak insiders were moved aside. Over those crucial three years, more than half of the people in the top 250 positions were changed. One-third of the replacements came from the outside. Two-thirds came from the inside. Within three years, the company's performance had improved dramatically. Profits had grown from $285 million to $445 million, and the company's stock price had almost doubled. Looking back on his approach to managing the company, and how to change, Wexler declared, I used to pick sweaters, now I pick people. That's an example of core learning. It's learner-driven, and it's new thoughts, new beliefs, and new behaviors. Now, you may be saying to me, well, Jim, hang on a minute. He went to see Jack Welsh and Wayne Calloway, and they told him what they were doing, 
Isn't that a form of teaching? It is indirectly. But Wexner was there asking the questions. He was a proactive learner, and he was seeking ways for him to view his business differently. And if you'll recall, he said, I had an epiphany. I was viewing the business in a totally different way, a different mindset. So when his beliefs changed about how to approach his business, his behavior changed. Now, we're coming up on a break. What I think I'll do is take that break this time and then get to the third level of transformational learning when we come back. I want to remind you that this is the Serve Hour, and you are in conversation on the Voice America Business Channel with Jim Blackburn, that be me, and we are having a discussion about leadership. It can't be taught, but it can be changed. We'll be right back. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Would you like to have a personal conversation with Jim Blackburn, the host of the Serve Hour? He's available and is interested in hearing from you. And what might you expect when you visit with Jim? These are some of the things that people are saying. Jim, over the course of an hour, taught me about self-awareness and my personal blind spots. This was a very simple concept that I probably have heard many times before, but never with the detail and the explanation of how it would impact my business and relationships. This started a 10-year relationship that I value tremendously. Jim helped me see the difference between multitasking things and multitasking people. Being fully present with other people creates immeasurable value in those relationships. If you or someone you know would benefit by having a conversation with Jim, he can be reached by email at jblackburn at servepartners.com. That's S-U-R-V-E partners.com. Or by phone at 919-969-2522. Jim will respond to you as soon as possible and looks forward to hearing from you. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. This is the Serve Hour. We know you have something to say, so take part in our conversation today. Please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to jblackburn at servepartners.com. Now, back to the program. Welcome back. I'm Jim Blackburn, your host, and we're in conversation about how organizational leadership can't be taught but can be learned. And before we took our break, I had just talked to you about foundational and core learning, and I want to move on to transformational learning, but during the break, I got an email asking me to revisit the two 
first levels, foundational learning, which is new knowledge, new skills, new capabilities. That's the triangle that I ask you to draw at the bottom of the page. That's learning what other people know. Example I gave was Jim Collins' book. And also think in terms of the training that your organization has, the on-course learning, et cetera, et cetera. That is critically important. But I continue to remind you it's foundational. And if that's where your learning stops, you will peak out professionally. The next level, of course, is core. That's new thoughts, which leads to new beliefs, which leads to new behaviors. All behavior is purposeful. It is as a result of your beliefs. So the key here is your ability to open your belief system, examine your belief system, and whichever beliefs are no longer serving you well, as Les Wexner discovered, you change that belief, which will lead to new behaviors. Now, the third level is called transformational. In its new being, B-E-I-N-G, new choices, and new identity. When your behavior changes, you are being different. How you be is who you are. We are human beings, not human doings. Picture, again, the people at the limited stores when Wexner came back from those meetings. How did they view him coming back? Very very differently. His focus has changed. His behavior has changed. And quite truthfully, he probably became threatening to a lot of people in the organization because they could no longer hang out behind the lack of clarity, the confusion, and the massiveness of the organization. I remember working with a public company where I was working with the CEO, and he asked, the head of HR, who all were in his department. And the HR person responded with, I have over 300 people. I don't have a clue what some of them do because they're all over the world. Now, that's the HR department. So you can imagine what it was like when they tried to assess people throughout the organization. So at the transformational level, you are behaving differently, which leads to choices. And the choices are to go back to your old familiar. We talked about this in an earlier broadcast. The old familiar safe way of being, which is the old real. And that acronym stands for old way of relating, old way of experiencing, old way of attitude or mindset, an old way of learning. Or you can choose to go to the new reel, which Wexner did, and it's a new way of relating to same situations, same relationships. Notice how he chose to relate to his company going forward. He created a new experience. His attitude changed, and he was continually learning more about himself. So the three levels are foundational, core, 
And by the way, the reason that I've titled it core is because that level is actually who you are, how you think, what you believe, and the behavior that results. And if you can get your hands around the core, think about the opportunities and possibilities for you personally and professionally. If you ignore that and you continue to stay at foundational level of learning, both personally and professionally, you will continue to find struggle in your life that you can't quite figure out. So those are the three levels of this unique learning process. And I highly, highly endorse anyone listening who's in charge of talent development, in charge of growth, or who's involved in that sort of thing to really embrace this because it's critically important. Finally, let me move on to what I've talked about in past broadcasts, which now has surfaced again, and that is to revisit and clarify the definition of personal and professional development. When I've asked people over the years, what are you doing for yourself personally and professionally that contributes to your development? The answers I continually get back are foundational learning. Now I'm starting to see, and I'm actually working with people who have embraced this concept of core learning, and they have coaches. But the important thing to remember here now is whoever is helping you facilitate your core learning, be very careful that they're not telling you what they think. Be very careful that they're not giving you advice because that isn't the core. The core is more about what you think. It's more about what you believe. And again, if the beliefs aren't working, helping you let go of them and replace them with new beliefs. So personal, professional development, we define it as relating to same situations, same relationships, and same things differently if the way you're relating to them currently is not working. Now, what do I mean by not working? You leave those situations feeling drained. You leave those situations feeling frustrated. You aren't feeling the fulfillment and the satisfaction that you want. Let me give you an example of this. And this gets right to the core of things. We define meaningful relationships, healthy relationships, a number of ways, but the core of that is a fair exchange of value. What I'm finding is a lot of people that are not happily employed. They don't have or are not receiving value from their employer that gives them that sense of belonging, feeling part of something special and big, so they spend all their time complaining about it. What I ask them to do is to rethink that relationship. And instead of finding fault with it, and instead of throwing blame, and instead of being a victim, why not relate to it in a way that it works for them, 
Why not relate to their career in a way that works for them, i.e., put your antenna up and be thinking about a different employer, a different relationship. And it's not because the old employer is evil or bad or sinful. It's because they're not contributing to your growth, to your development, and the exchange of value is off. So keep in mind, if you are serious about personal growth and development, it is about this level of core learning that you want to get your hands around. Now, I said at the beginning of the broadcast, I wanted to leave some time for a number of the emails that we um, got over the past week from the last broadcast, and I want to jump to that right now. But before I do that, I want to remind you, if you have any questions on what I have been talking about up to this point, because I've covered a number of things, please feel free to drop me an email or pick up and call. The number again is 866-472-5790. Now, let's go to the emails. Last week, we were talking about an upside-down approach to organizational change. And one of the topics that I touched on was Les Wexner. And I received an email here that said, Jim, you left me hanging with Les Wexner. What did he do after his epiphany? Well, I've already addressed that. And I hope that it made sense when I tied it into the idea of core learning. So I will not get into that now. But if there are further questions on that, please don't hesitate to raise your hand. The second email I got said, Jim, you talked about the characteristics of the right people for a high-growth employer. How do you find them? Interesting question. I want to share with you, again, something that is somewhat counterintuitive, but it literally will introduce you to the people that have the characteristics of personal responsibility, resourcefulness, reliability, resilience, and that unique relationship orientation, which is where they leave other people feeling energized, feeling valued, feeling heard. How do you find them? Well, let me start with this. Let's look at resumes. People look at resumes today as if they're gold. And they use the resumes to qualify prospective employees. I say don't do that anymore. Use the resume as a rejection tool. There are certain characteristics that you can put in or have that you want to see in a resume that an administrative person can view the resumes and literally sort through the ones that don't have one or all of those characteristics. For instance, why would you look at a resume that doesn't have a cover letter? You know that the majority of resumes being generated out there today are computer-generated, they're on all these websites that are triggered by keywords in the job posting that you've had, and it triggers a resume. And the other thing you want to make sure is that the cover letter is an original letter that is drafted specifically for your opportunity. If not, dismiss the resume. Again, I've had people say to me, but Jim, suppose there's somebody that has a great resume that you're going to miss them. Yeah, you are. 
But I'm telling you now, if you want to find the people that are resourceful, resilient, they take responsibility, they're reliable, they're going to have a cover letter, and it's going to make you think. Secondly, when you're interviewing, after the, the resumes have rejected the majority of the candidates, there's typically a phone interview. The resume is not looked at anymore. All subsequent interviews are about who the person is, how they've made decisions in the past, how they deal with adversity. You want to set up an interview process that is stressful. It feels like your work environment. You want the interviewers to not recruit, but to ask questions and not respond favorably or unfavorably while they're asking the questions. We've designed this sort of interviewing process for many clients, and we have interviewers who are focused on educational decisions, past employment, personal life, and we have interviews where the interviewer does nothing but answer questions. And it's really interesting. We've also seen, uh, when we've implemented this, how many companies struggle with this. So to find the people with the right characteristics, change the interviewing process, think about the qualifications you're looking for. Um, Example being a lot of organizations say they want you to have experience in this field Specifically, they want all these advanced degrees, et cetera, et cetera. And my question is why? Why don't we focus more on who the person is and how that person has dealt with their life, both the adversities as well as the opportunities up to that point? Okay, next email. Jim. If you have what it takes to work for a high-growth employer, how do you find the right employer? That's a tough question. I talk to a lot of employers that say, I can't find good people. And my response is, but there are plenty of good people out there. What are you doing to find them? And they give me the traditional, I do this, We post, we advertise, we do this, we do that. I then say to them, well, tell me this. Why would a high-growth person, a highly qualified person, the type of person that should be working for your organization, why would they want to work for you? Answers, at best, are vague. So finding the right employer is a challenge. So here's my advice. First, stop trying to figure out what you want to do with your professional life by industry, by job title, by occupational classification. I hear over and over and over, what is it you want to do? Well, I want to be an accountant. Well, I want to be an engineer. Well, I want to be... I want to be, etc. Those are all titles. What you really want to focus on are the things that you 
have historically been energized by. Reflect on the patterns of activities throughout your past that you enjoyed and gave you a sense of fulfillment. Let me give you an example of this. Years ago, I was consulting with a financial services firm, and they had a young man in there who was very smart, had been in the insurance industry for probably 10 years at that time, who was making a good living, but he wasn't happy. In fact, he was kind of difficult to be around. So as I talked to him, I found that he had a avocation of photography. In fact, he spent more time working on the photography than he did on his professional life. And I said to him one day, John, why wouldn't you become a photographer? Why wouldn't you turn that into a business? Well, of course, I heard all the reasons why not, can't afford to, can't lose this income, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But I again prodded him about his belief systems about, well, what would it cost, how much would you lose, et cetera, et cetera. And to make a long story short, he eventually went full-time as a photographer, has built a phenomenal practice, and is a much easier person to be around, a much better parent, a much better husband, and very, very much better as a community volunteer. So that's one example of that. Now, next, you've got to identify the characteristics of the person, the organization you want to work for. And that's going to be kind of a lengthy explanation for me here. So we're coming up to another break. Why don't we take that break? I want to remind you, I'm Jim Blackburn, your host. This is the Serve Hour, and we're talking about how leadership can't be taught, but it can be learned, and I'm currently responding now to emails from our last broadcast. When we come back, I will continue my conversation about how to locate a high-growth employer and respond to some other of the emails. So we'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Would you like to have a personal conversation with Jim Blackburn, the host of The Serve Hour? He's available and is interested in hearing from you. And what might you expect when you visit with Jim? These are some of the things that people are saying. Jim, over the course of an hour, taught me about self-awareness and my personal blind spots. This was a very simple concept that I probably have heard many times before, but never with the detail and the explanation of how it would impact my business and relationships. This started a 10-year relationship that I value tremendously. Jim helped me see the difference between multitasking things and multitasking people. Being fully present with other people creates immeasurable value in those relationships. If you or someone you know would benefit by having a conversation with Jim, he can be reached by email at jblackburn at servepartners.com. That's S-U-R-V-E partners.com. Or by phone at 919-969-2522. Jim will respond to you as soon as possible and looks forward to hearing from you. Conversations concerning money can be a bit daunting. There can be limitations with building wealth, and in general, 
People don't want to discuss their money until now. Listen each week for Conversations with Money, featuring Franco Calagiri and Marissa Sipolinski. Our guests make money the conversation piece. How to build and maintain wealth, working with charities, and money and family members. Listen every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. This is the Serve Hour. We know you have something to say, so take part in our conversation today. Please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to jblackburn at servepartners.com. Now, back to the program. Welcome back to our conversation. You are listening to the Voice America Business Channel and the Serve Hour. I'm Jim Blackburn. And I'm discussing how organizational leadership can't be taught, but it can be learned. Just before our break, I mentioned I would continue my responses to the questions received from our last broadcast about the upside-down approach to organizational change. And I was talking directly about if you have what it takes to work for a high-growth employer, how do you find the right employer? Quick summary, I said stop trying to figure out what you want to do by industry, job title, occupational classification, and instead reflect on the pattern of activities throughout your past that you enjoyed and gave you a sense of fulfillment. I talked to you about the insurance agent turned photographer. I should also tell you about my own story, and that being that as I go back, even when I was a student uh, in college, I was always doing some form of teaching or coaching. And that has been a common thread throughout my professional life. And when I hit the wall with my uh, time in the financial services industry after 25 years and just said, I can't do this anymore, I started the business that I now have. It was kind of serendipity as to how it started, but I've continued that common thread, and I've turned a, a, something I'm very, very focused on into something that would create a living for me. Now, let me take you into the characteristics of the person and organization you would like to work for. You want to change your mindset when you're going into interviews because you're also there to qualify them. And again, as I work with people who are in the interviewing process, I ask them, how do they feel during the interview? And I get puzzled looks and questions like, well, okay. And I said, well, the person that interviewed you, are they the type of person you'd want to work for? I don't know. I just answered their questions. The mindset that you want to go into the interview with is that you are a valuable, talented, sought-after person, and you're looking for the right company that can match with you. So what you want to be doing is when the interviewer says to you, 
do you have any questions for me? You want to have a list of questions. Let me give you some examples here. Question could be, what are the reasons that you're working for this organization? What are the organizational's core values? What are the greatest challenges for new employees with your organization? What type of employees struggle in your organization? Tell me about you. How did you get where you are professionally? What are your professional objectives? What are your expectations of the people who work for you? What's not working as well as it should in this organization? And what's being done about it? Now, I've shared this with a lot of people, and they tend to back off and say, whoa, Jim, I don't want to go into these interviews cocky. I don't want to go into these interviews like I have all the answers. I don't want to be playing hard to get. I'm not suggesting that in any way whatsoever. You want to go into the interview with the mindset that all people have a need to feel valued. People that do interviewing for a living, it's a mind-numbing occupation. It's, it's like they're, they're mentally numb when they're putting people through it, and it's a check-the-box exercise. If you can create a situation with that interviewer where they feel heard, where they feel valued, where they feel that you're genuinely interested in them and the company, how do you think they're going to feel when they leave that interview about you? Now, on the other hand, if you're in the interview and it's an ego trip for you and you're trying to prove that you know more than they do, you're right. That's not going to work. I'm not suggesting that whatsoever. So what you want to be able to do is go into the interviews with a different mindset. This is going to cause you to get back into that core level of learning. What are your beliefs about yourself? You're going to have to have a heavy dose of self-acceptance, understand that you're fine, and there is a right employer out there for you. That mindset will carry the interview for you. Next email. Jim, please revisit the change agent roles and responsibilities that you talked about. And why wouldn't that apply to all management? Interesting question. I hadn't really thought about it. But as I do, I think, you know, it should. Let me go back and revisit the change agent roles and responsibilities. A change agent in an organization is responsible for changing the organization through the efforts of other people. The change agent is responsible for creating employment opportunities for the right people and creating an environment that contributes to their success. The change agent is not responsible for fixing people who are underperforming nor keeping people employed. Let me say that again. As a change agent, you are not responsible for fixing people who are underperforming or keeping people employed. Now, why is this important? As a change agent, you are facilitating change. 
Remember, all change causes loss. So you can go in as a change agent and paint a pretty picture that this is going to be fine for everyone, when in fact it's not. And there will be people that will resist. There will be people that buy in. And there will be people that will be stuck in neutral. But as a change agent, you want to be able to create the employment opportunities for the right people. And that's back to Jim Collins' book about get the right people on the bus, then get them into the right seats. Another responsibility of the change agent is creating what I call a statement of what yet can be from what already exists. As a change agent, you do not want to go into a new situation and immediately start finding fault with where the organization is and with what's going wrong. You want to remember, continue to remind yourself, the people that you're talking to actually contributed to where that organization is. And what you want to be able to say is, good job. How do I know that? You're here. We got here. What got us here, unfortunately, though, is not going to take us into the future. And this is where you have to create a statement of what yet can be from what already is. What does the future organization look like? What does it feel like? What, what are the um, specific um, employment value propositions? the investment or the investor or employer value proposition. What is the feel of the organization? What's the, what's the purpose of the organization? And when I talked about it last week, I talked about Chris King, the athletic director of the new university, which is the University of Texas, Rio Grande Valley, and their purpose is to have their student-athletes go out into the world and excel. That is the purpose to help them move on beyond their education into the world and be contributors and to excel. So the idea of being a change agent for all management, it's an interesting question. I would say this. If you're supervising what people are doing, you're not necessarily going to be classified as a change agent. On the other hand, if you're overseeing the work of others and you're charged with taking that organization to the next level, if you're charged with creating a new sense of what the organization is or how it's functioning, I would say absolutely yes, you're a change agent. So the final thing I'll say about it, and Maury Sheckman said it on one of the earlier broadcasts about being a change agent. You're not going to be liked by many people. You've got to have a thick skin. You will be creating loss in the organization, and people are going to resist. Don't be surprised by that. Okay, I've got two more emails here. I think we're going to have time to get to them. The next email is about the acronym REAL, R-E-A-L. It says, Jim, you've talked about this in a couple of the broadcasts, 
please revisit what that means and explain the difference between what you refer to as the old reel and a new reel. Let me begin with this. And I'm taking us back a number of broadcasts. And Maury Sheckman talked about this also when he defined success as having the ability to choose. Life is all about choices. And when we're feeling pressure, when we are feeling pain, our choices tend, because of our humanness, to go back to our old way of relating, our old way of doing. Uh, people in management, for instance, and I can use myself as an example when I was in sales management. I was a damn good salesman, and as a result of that, I got promoted. I didn't have a clue about managing other people. So when sales of my sales force were lacking, when they were off, I went back to what I knew. I went back to selling. Now, I disguised it. I did it like this. Let me go out with you. Let me show you how to do this. Let's make some joint calls together. And I would go out. I would make the sale. My ego would be stroked. I would feel good. I would say to the salesperson, you see how easy that is? And they would say, oh, yeah, yeah. And I would say, well, can you do that? And they would go, oh, yeah, yeah. I wasn't contributing at all there, but I was back to my old familiar. So then what happened? Well, I had an external voice, a consultant, who confronted me and said, why do you continue to do that? And I said, well, because that's my job. And then the question was, well, is that working? And I'd go, truthfully, no. These guys aren't improving. These gals aren't improving. No, no, it's not. So why wouldn't you relate to them differently? And that's where the truth hit me. I didn't know what to do. I didn't have a clue. So what the consultant helped me do is get into my core. What are my thoughts about sales management? What is my belief? And can I change them? And can I get more clarity around how to relate to the salesperson in a way that I can help them develop as a salesperson, as opposed to trying to teach them how to sell, i.e., foundational learning. So let me go back now. When you're making a choice and you're not really thinking about it, it's based on an emotional reaction, you'll tend to go back to your old way of relating, old experience, old attitude, and old way of learning. It's called the old real. And if you continue that way in your personal life or your professional life, what you're creating is called status quo. And that leads to burnout. And burnout does not come about because you're working too hard. It doesn't come about because someone's not giving you what you need in a personal relationship. It comes about because you are solving the same old problems. You are in an old relationship that the exchange of value isn't right. So the idea is how to break that. The new real is a new way of relating, new way of experiencing, new attitude, new learning. Think about Les Wexner. 
think about what happens when a person changes how they are relating to specific situations. I hope that helps. Now, we're up against the end of this broadcast. Let me do one last thing quickly, and that's just remind you of a quote that I've used multiple times. You need to think about this whenever you're listening to our broadcast. The range of what we think and do is limited by what we fail to notice. And because we fail to notice that, we fail to notice. There's little we can do to change until we notice that failing to notice limits all that we think and do. I hope that I've been helping you notice throughout this broadcast and previous broadcasts. With that, I want to remind you that our next broadcast will be next Wednesday, August 12th, 6 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 a.m. Eastern Time. Our topic of conversation, like last week, I haven't decided yet. So email me, and thank you to all of you who emailed me this past week. Email me with your questions and suggestions, and let's have some fun together. It's been a pleasure visiting with you. I want to thank you for sharing part of your day with me. This has been the Serve Hour, and I'm Jim Blackburn saying so long. Thank you for listening to the Serve Hours Provocative Conversation. Please rejoin your host, Jim Blackburn, during the Serve Hour each Wednesday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel.